today's episode of Juicing the Big Screen, your movies review and discussion podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Tracy. And I am Corwin Heller. And welcome to the show. Today, we are here to talk about the 2014 picture Predestination and the 2012 film Flight. Corwin Heller, where would you like to start today? Uh, let's start with Predestination. I feel like we'll have more to talk about, and I wouldn't want to miss anything. All right, you got it. Predestination came out in 2014. It was directed by the Spearig brothers, Michael Spearig and Peter Spearig. It was written by the Spearig brothers based on the short story All You Zombies by Robert A. Heinlein, a famous science fiction writer. The film stars Ethan Hawke, Sarah Snook, and Noah Taylor. Um, it has no major award nominations nor wins that I can see anyway. Let me crack it open, see if there's anything uh, significant. Uh, yeah. Uh, the film had an estimated budget of $5.1 million and a cumulative worldwide gross of $4.9 million. Um, or I still see a box office around 5.4s, but I'm sure at this point it's made its money back, VOD and all that type of shit. So pretty much break even. Uh, the film is about a uh, for his final assignment, a temporal agent must pursue the one criminal that has eluded him throughout time. The chase turns into a unique, surprising and mind bending exploration of love, fate, identity and time travel taboos. Now, if you have any intention of watching this movie, before we even begin to talk about it stop listening which, which you should this is a really fun time travel movie and it is so much less fun for your first viewing if you know what happens before you goes into it so if you have even the slightest hint of wanting to watch this movie stop listening so anyway uh this is my pick i'll get it started I love these types of sci-fi movies where the or time travel movies specifically where it, it where it engages within the paradox and doesn't just kind of let it sit there. You know, like Back to the Future does a pretty good job of having a primary mission, but also engaging a little bit in the paradox. What's what about what about this? What about that kind of thing? But it, it gets a little bit tossed aside because there is like a main driving plot whereas for this um and for another film that we, we talked about time crimes which engages in the very similar paradox um oh, yeah i forgot about that yeah it is all about how exactly does this work and really with this one the more you think about it the more confusing it kind of gets because you know we'll get into the ending but it is very much so well predestined exactly what's going to happen which not only makes it an interesting conversation in terms of the paradoxes within time travel but also the title uh, of the movie <laughs> also kind of a a question of free will to a certain extent um so i i i'm not sure what to start with my opening i usually feel like i have a lot more to say uh, i don't have a lot to say in the opening because a lot of what i want to say is discussion based uh, but Ethan Hawke is fantastic in this. He picks such fun projects. Um, if you see Ethan Hawke is in something or working on something, check it out because it's he picks such fun things to be in. Uh, and mm -hmm. Sarah Snook is so wonderful in this. And I had no idea this was her when I first watched the movie. And now getting, you know, having seen her character in um, Succession and being so not her character in this, it, it, it's so much about fun. the opposite. If, right. If you can list it as that. Just about in every way. Yeah. Um, so excited to get into this one with you. So tell me what, what you thought about predestination. So I really enjoy time travel movies. I really enjoy, I feel like the, the most enjoyment I get out of it is is this plausible, not like is it possible or the science that doesn't make any sense. Get the fuck out of here. It's just like all right, is the plausible deniability enough that I can sit here and enjoy it? Mm -hmm. And does their explanation for the time travel paradox and also why it's okay make sense in its own world? 
Like, not only does it like, all right, can I suspend disbelief enough to enjoy it, but also is what I am suspending actually possible with the rules that they lay out? And I feel like the only issue I have with this film, because it was undeniably suspenseful, enjoyable, extremely well done. The only issue I have is it's almost like this film exists on a track and it's in this circular track where you start at point a, even though point a being where point a is, doesn't matter. You're starting on this track and it's a complete loop back around into time. And you think, you know, that track and you think you understand it. And then they expand that track to include Ethan Hawke. And that's like the, big final twist of the film and i love all that i think that all works out perfect the only question i have and if you can answer this to the point where i believe you i say hallelujah but how do they get on the track if she's her own mother and in turn her own father back and forth back and forth how is this person created in the first place how do they exist that it is, is the chicken I or the love egg. about this movie is that i think there man there's no way to answer it but that's what i also love about the way this film engages with time travel in the first place which is there exist people because we eventually create time travel that therefore exists out of time, which makes them perfect people to engage in time travel for the purpose of avoiding paradoxes. And I love that. I just want to know, how did this person come to be? But that's the thing. It is the only question that they can't answer, they won't answer, and I need to be answered. Uh, That's exactly it, is that there is no answer to it. Which is what makes it a, a, a functioning uh, point, a functioning, uh, I don't want to say argument because it's not an argument, but like a, 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 a point of a functioning point of realism for this world of this movie, because if such a thing was to exist, they would make the perfect people to time travel. So it, it's like it, it can't exist unless because it's not just chicken and the egg with creating the person. It's also chicken and the egg with creating time travel. Right. You know, because like, as soon as you answer that question, the whole premise of how this whole film works has to be reworked. This paradox can only exist and the premise can only exist if there is no beginning to this person. Because they can't be dropped into the loop because that creates an interaction that takes away all reason for this person in this loop to exist. All right. So let, let's talk about the plot, because if you are committed to not having seen this movie, um, but are listening to us talk about it, then you're lost. So basically let's start high level, which we don't usually do, but to make this easier on ourselves, high level, uh, Sarah Snook meets a man, um, falls in love real fast, has a kid with said man. Uh, and this starts a process in which uh, Sarah Snook gets recruited by a time travel cop agency, ends up through a series of misfortune, becoming a man, uh, traveling back in time to fall in love with the old version of what at that point is herself. Being the man that fucks Sarah Snook, resulting in Sarah Snook giving birth to a baby that actually grows up to become, well, Sarah Snook. So essentially, there is one person, Sarah Snook, who is grows up in an adopt in a in an orphanage, fucks herself in the future unbeknownst to her who becomes a man through another science fiction like process due to an accident and gives birth to herself 
before proceeding down the course of the rest of the film after her child gets mysteriously stolen from the hospital, where after she becomes a man, she then becomes a time cop, eventually becoming Ethan Hawke, who shows her him how to become a time cop. Um, So really, we're now three characters kind of in at this point uh, with some illusion, potentially, that uh, Ethan Hawke may eventually also become uh, the old guy at the end. Um, the 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 not yeah. the old old guy, the um, the boss of the whole organization. What was his name? Uh, Mr. Robertson. 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 Yeah. Some some slight illusion that he might eventually grow up to become Robertson. I don't think uh, so. Well, here's why I say that, because and I know we're all over the place with this movie, but it's kind of hard not to be. At the end end of the movie, Ethan Hawke is trying to Ethan Hawke as a character. His goal is to one, put Sarah Snook on this path of uh, 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 the, the loop that Corbin kept describing, but also is trying to catch the 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 fizzle bomber who is uh, ravaging New York in the 70s. Right. So interspersed with Ethan Hawke kind of guiding this process of decision-making that would result in Sarah Snook giving birth to herself and all that stuff. Um, Ethan Hawke is also jumping around the seventies trying to catch the fizzle bomber. And it gets revealed at the end of the movie that Ethan Hawke is the fizzle bomber and confronts an old man version of himself. However, and this is where I say he might also be Robertson, the fizzle bomb version, old man, Ethan Hawke lays out to him what the different routes of his action within that laundromat create. He tells him, if you shoot me, that starts the chains of events that results in you becoming me. Right. Which means that he knows what the alternative options are as well. Which means that there are a, a few different permutations of Ethan Hawke's character existent at the same time which makes sense in accordance with the rest of the film, because there is at one point in time, Ethan Hawke, male Sarah Snook and female Sarah Snook and baby Sarah Snook all existing in the same year. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it would make sense. So it's, that it's Ethan purely a two different lives, a hypothetical, not saying that there's any evidence specifically pertaining to Robertson being Sarah Snook. It's only a, oh, this is a plausible possibility because of the situation that's shown. Yeah, okay. there was also um, I think I think the gentle nod there might have also been something about um, the mention of all the jumping leading to memory issues or something like that. Or and then uh, Robertson was when he, Robertson makes a jump into the hospital to tell Ethan Hawke to steal the baby. Ethan Hawke was like, oh, you like never jump anymore. And I, I think that might have been a gentle tie in that the, the reason he doesn't jump anymore as, you know, an quote unquote older person is because he did so much jumping as a quote unquote younger person. Um, and again, Robertson is also the figure that helps set Jane, Sarah Snook's character, on her course from the orphanage. So there is, I, I think, an additional something to the, the guiding hand process of it all. Um, plus, plus, plus one other thing. I don't know if you noticed, but every character that becomes another character is the same height. So Sarah Snook no, is very carefully depicted as the same height as Ethan Hawke. Because That's something that would notice that I would notice and like make note of and be like oh wow that's really cool like the second time i watch exactly yeah it's not something you're going to think to look for in the first one because why the fuck would you and even if you did notice it would be like a oh they're the same height that's a coincidence that happens every day right especially in the world of acting where the dudes ain't so tall and the women well might end up actually being normal height you know um and uh Robertson and Ethan Hawke were very carefully portrayed also as the same height. So I think it might have been a 
clue. Uh, in real world, Ethan Hawke is 5'10", and Sarah Snook is 5'6". FYI. How tall is the actor who plays Robertson? Oh, what's his fucking name? Noah something? Uh, Noah Taylor. Noah Taylor. Wrong podcast, buddy. Mm. Noah Taylor is... Oh, fucking Noah Taylor height. He is 5'8". So they run the game. Okay. So they made Sarah Snook two inches taller. They made Ethan Hawke two inches shorter. And he just got to stay the same height. <laughs> no lifts for me, buddy. No lifts or crates. Um, so it's, it's an interesting viewing because what else, what I think the film does so well, which is in a way, I don't want to say better than time crimes, but different than time crimes is that you're not trying to figure out the paradox of it. It does a very good job giving you enough other plot points to kind of keep track of and to, uh, follow along with and, and enjoy the mystery of that. You're not actively seeking out the like when when the reveal of Ethan Hawke is Sarah Snook comes around mm -hmm. it's not like they were hinting at it in, in ways earlier on in the film but it wasn't what you were trying to guess you weren't sitting there trying to guess who Sarah Snook becomes right. right and I think that's to the movie's great benefit because when films hyper focus on um, outcome I'll say instead of some journey aspects, unless the outcome is like genuinely fascinating, uh, it makes it kind of tough to watch. Cause like, if you figure it out early on, like in like the sixth sense, if you guess that ending in the first 10 minutes of the movie, like I did as when, on my first watch of it, not to like brag, but just like, then you sit there like, all right, all right I get it. Like he's going to be the, oh, okay. he was the ghost. Wow. Who fucking called that shit? You know what I mean? Like, it, it's not as fun at that point. Yes, I agree. When it's you're trying to figure out the paradox, all you can see is the paradox. When right. they give you the paradox, you're there looking at the story. And to that point, this film had had good story. Like, what was happening? It's funny because I didn't even remember upon firing this movie up. I didn't remember how much of the beginning of the movie was male Sarah Snook depicting his past as female Sarah Snook. And it really is the first, like, I don't know, 30 minutes of the movie. Hmm. And it does such a good job because when you're watching that part of it, you're like, oh, Ethan Hawke is here because he thinks Sarah Snook, male Sarah Snook is the fizzle bomber. And we're, we're, right. we, we're watching him play that out. Mm-hmm. And then the film goes, no. But also, yes. But also, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And then when it gets into, you know, the whole relationship part of it, there's there's that initial reveal that male Sarah Snook, you know, is female Sarah Snook and is the 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 guy who stole him away, stole stole away the kid at night and all that type of shit. And then, you know, it gets into the, the further endings. Um I hate that my first reaction when they bump into each other was like, oh, wow, she blew it. She's going to see the guy, but she's going to see it. like it's not going to work. Then immediately after it was like, oh, I got got. Damn. <laughs> ah. And then it's 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 like the movie tells you like in that moment that there's more to this and you still yeah. like you, you you're like. You, you don't see it yet because yeah. you can't, you know? No, it, it absolutely is a, uh, I see I have been duped, but I still feel even stupider because there's so much more they have to tell me before I get it. Got it. Got well, it. And honestly, what's also great about that reveal is it goes, is it can, it's, it, it, if you, the movie was to go a different way, you could also very readily see it as a justification for still male Sarah Snook becoming this, the fizzle bomber. It'd be so easy um, to be like, oh, yeah, this fucked up his life. He's totally going to go become the fizzle bomber. But it's sure, still yeah. not what it does, you know? Exactly. Not, not exactly what it does. It's just a fun movie. I enjoy time travel. And I, much like you, what you were saying early on, I like this version of time travel where it's like, 
they didn't even give the the 88 miles an hour DeLorean type of thing or or the VAT thing that you got in uh, uh, time crimes. It was very much so like, here's a violin case, set the date. Who cares how it works? At no point will we explain to you how this works because that's a lot more work. We don't want to. And frankly, we don't have to. And you know what? Yeah, you are right. The more you start trying to explain, the more I'm going to have room to criticize what's happening. My ability to find just little things that you did wrong rather than you did right is far greater than your ability to make a perfect film. Plus, with how much there already is to explain and set up to get to the second act, like... Mm -hmm. Including a five to seven minute long scene, trying to explain the rules of this world's time travel would not have would not have worked. Agreed. Sometimes less is absolutely more. Yeah. Like we talked about it with um, what was the most recent uh, Christopher Nolan movie? Um, Tenet. Tenet. They definitely went far out of their way to explain out all of the plot holes they shouldn't have that was one of those you over explained then there's more holes for you to fill yeah yeah and this movie just 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 kept it pushing do you have a favorite time travel movie this this is up there. This this and time crimes are two of my favorite ones. I haven't seen Primer in years, but I do remember oh, that being an awesome film. That is such a good one because it 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 actually toes the line between trying to explain to you exactly how this works and also not showing you. Because there's one scene where they kind of lay it out, and then from that from then on, it's just like just fucking accept it. I should rewatch that again. So good. Um, and what the other thing I I really thoroughly enjoyed about this movie was I I, I love retrofuturism, where you know like there, you look at past examples of what people thought the future was going to look like, uh, like when with the the early Jane training scenes where she's in like the mm. facility that that NASA like facility, thought that shit was hilarious. Yeah. Um, yeah, we need an entire group of women to go fuck astronauts because, boy, if there's anyone you can't trust to not. Uh, actually, don't know what they were insinuating uh, specifically, but yeah, astronauts, man, too angry, got too much jizz, got to get rid of it. <laughs> there's too much common space, man. We need <laughs> we need less common balls in space. That's actually how Apollo 13 almost crashed. <laughs> Thank God for heroes like Ed Harris. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Yeah, and then, you know, it's a... Uh, they really built a whole, like, life for these characters, which is also a thing you don't often see in time travel movies because in order to make things as simple as possible, you often reduce the color that you allot to each character like if like back to the future is only a handful of i think actual days in each time period it's not a lot of time mm-hmm. per time period which works for that film because you know there's other things going on but also typically doing the same thing with time, time the movie time crimes that's one day you know, and a lot of time travel films, while they might cover a great span of time being jumped, they don't focus on many actual days within those time periods. Whereas this movie covers quite a lot of time of everyone's life, which introduces a lot more oh, difficulty. But the film does it really well. Josh, it's because it's only one life. Is it, though? It's all the same life. And you know what I find interesting? The, the thing that I can't really, because I said it at the top about the idea of free will, because 
it is funny that there's still something of a linearity to it. Like there's there's still this choice being made by, shall we say, modern Ethan Hawke, which is what to become. Because if you think about it, like every time Ethan Hawke jumps somewhere, there is a uh, a tape left over from a prior Ethan Hawke who is setting up that space for the next one that will come. Part of the idea of this is a, a, a cycle. This is predestined. You, you have a set thing that you are doing that will do whatever it does. And there will be another version of you behind you that because you're constantly moving forward in, in a way, you know, in a manner of speaking. Um, but we're still following Ethan Hawke's decision making as to whether he's going to become the fizzle bomber or if he's going to catch him. And it's weird to think about because if you moved beyond the scope of this film, you know, theoretically, he's either always going to catch the Vizzle Bomber or never. You know, like at the end of the day, it is binary. If the Vizzle Bomber's bombing in the 1975 and Ethan Hawke jumps in 1996 or some shit like that, mm-hmm. like the Vizzle Bomber will either have been caught or not. So to introduce or to show the idea of, I guess, still choice or um, working at choice. making the attempt. Yeah, it, it, like, it's it's interesting. I don't know, did you were you thinking about it at all as it was happening? Well, that's why I feel like he kept bringing up the premise of. Uh, um, oh, what's the term for that he was using uh, inevitability? There is a level of inevitability that he feels that he can't avoid because he is in that plane of, well, I can't really do anything to stop this because I'm in this loop that is never really going to change. Um, and that's what he's stuck feeling like he, there's nothing he can really do to stop it. But at the same time, he's left always attempting to make that difference without knowing if he can i don't know man. i don't stop trying to ask me to think too much on time travel i'm happy just seeing what they give me well and i i think part of it is seeing what you're willing to see because you know like we're following ethan hawk showing male sarah snook that he is this person that he maybe didn't want to see uh, either when he was female, Sarah Snook, or you even want to see while what's happening is happening, you know, like in that scene on uh, on the bench where Ethan Hawke's like, you you know what you have to do, like you have to leave. And Sarah Snook, male Sarah Snook's like, I, I don't want to, like, I'm, it's going to be different. And, you know, Ethan Hawke's oh. like, it's going to be what it is. Um, and that. right. Um, but at the same time, we're showing Ethan Hawke trying desperately to find pieces and clues of who the Fizzle Bomber is, which is another reason why you'd think maybe Robertson is also Ethan Hawke because he left him a note to go, um, you know, trace the purchase order or whatever. And you got to think again, like if 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 these people exist out of time, then they also parallel exists in a world in which they find out who the fizzle bomber is. Robertson totally knows. Um, Well, at the same time, like there's an entire group of people within that organization just there to research the leads for these uh, missions per se. Um, What is that day to day? Like, like when you come in and sit down at your desk every morning, what, what's your, what's your process? How do you do that job? And I know that is a question that has no intention of being asked, nor will it ever be answered. But like, what what's that low level employee doing with their day? Smoking cigarettes and eating chili, I guess. <laughs> Just the the mailroom part of uh, Always Sunny when Charlie's trying to piece it all together on the chalk on the whiteboard. They're all up there. <laughs> they're all real and wondering where their mail is. It's all they can talk about up there. Ethan Hawke is Pepe Silva. 
Well, it's funny because there's a really bad time travel movie starring um, Jean-Claude Van Damme called As Cop. It Should. Oh, I've um, heard of it. And what's hilarious is like he goes back in time and talks to like the head of the time cop division and the head of the time cop division is like, who the fuck are you? Like <laughs> shit like that. And it's like, wait, but if you're this is your whole division. Shouldn't this be happening all the time? Shut up. The 80s were a much more cocaine fueled time. So at least this movie didn't do that. <laughs> People sure? weren't like, yeah, what is happening? Um, and anyway, because um, clearly Ethan Hawke or the Ethan Hawke's character is is either struggling to identify what ultimately ends up being him, um, or is actively subconsciously trying to not realize that it is him, and that is a parallel to what's happening in the first part of the film. The only part of that, um, you, know, you got to wonder about is, is that the, the concept of free will or the concept of him trying to break out of the, the predestined nature of the first part, you know, like the, it seems like the first part of his life is so well predestined. It, it, that is a, like a certainty, so to speak. Um, whereas the latter part of his life isn't it, you know, he, he gets more control over that. He gets to pick, where he ends up the head of this organization or some creepy old dude who does not have a lot of teeth um, living, uh, working at a laundromat. It's interesting. And depressing. But interesting. But also Um, like. Go ahead. No, I was waiting for you. Uh, Nothing of note. To that effect, I, I think I've, I've burned through everything I gotta say. Yeah, um, a lot. If here. you like, if you like Sarah Snook, uh, please watch Succession. It's literally perfect. Um, otherwise, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, final ratings and reviews. This was my movie, so I will uh, start. It's such an interesting movie. It's su- it's such an interesting movie. It's not like a, anything else you're going to watch. And it's fun. That's the other thing I love about it. It's fun. It's not necessarily bright um, or like light, but it is such fun because it's so wacky. It's so it's so weird, but very, very well put together very tight as as a film which these things could very readily go off the rails this keeps together very well uh and has delightful performances sarah snook as male sarah snook great fucking job yeah great fucking job so uh, uh i i'm giving i'm giving this uh fucking uh, somewhere between a four and a four and a half uh ask me later i hmm it's amazing how I, uh, seeing as it is my first watch, I do kind of want to live within that edge of four, four and a half. I don't know because I, I just watched this and boy, I, I don't know how to feel about it yet. Um, I, I really, really want to know the secrets that this movie holds, even though that that's, you know, perfectly impossible. So I'll, I'll give it a four and a half. It works. You are shocked and amazed and blown away multiple times. What more could you want? Did you watch it with Quinn? Did not. Ah, oh, damn. I was wondering what her reaction was. Um, I'll, uh, maybe I'll, maybe I'll talk her into watching it. I, uh, I don't know if it's uh, something she'd love or not, but I will be willing to try. It was a, it was a very fun reaction at a, at a Cal while watching it. She was very like, "What, what, what?" Yeah, it was fun. Good. Um, good. All right. Well, then let's get into our next film, which is 2012's Flight, directed by Robert Zemeckis. Speaking of Back to the Future, and um, cocaine filled. Both are true. 
this film was written by John Gattins. It stars Denzel Washington, Nadine Velasquez, and Don Cheadle. The film had an estimated budget of $31 million and a worldwide gross of $161.7 million. Uh, the film does have a tagline. Actually, did Predestination have a tagline? I think I skipped right over that. Uh, hold on. Time. Ah, yes. The tagline for Predestination was to save the future, he must reshape the past. That's such a bullshit, lazy time travel movie. Very generic. Yeah. Boo. <laughs> Boo you. Uh, the film was nominated for two Oscars. It was nominated for Best Performance by an Actor in a Leading Role for Denzel and Best Writing Original Screenplay for John Gattis, or Gattins. Uh, Denzel lost that year to Daniel Day-Lewis for Lincoln and John Gattins lost that year to Django Unchained, Quentin Tarantino. Touche. That's, yeah. that's a fair loss. Both fair losses. The film is about an airline pilot saves almost all of his passengers on his mal malfunctioning airliner, which eventually crashed. But an investigation into the accident reveals something troubling. Corwin Heller, this was your pick. You get us started. That's such a shitty tagline, too. Um, so I will preface this with uh, outside of our own podcast, of course, um my favorite podcast is a aviation crash like true kind true crime type breakdown uh which is like 90 percent of the reason i wanted to watch this um and that being said it holds very true to reality of kind of both the little things that make it very believable and realistic and also God damn, it made me want to pull my hair out because like the stuff that they glossed over are kind of huge in just the premise of how this plot line works. Um, but at the end of the day, I think it's just uh, I think it's a classic Denzel Washington. I'm here to act my ass off and everything else can just kind of fall in place around me and it's just going to work out fine. Oh, and I don't know if you mentioned John Goodman was in this. He's the best part of the movie by far. He's in it I for two him. scenes and they're both fantastic. He's so fucking good. That's all that you need to know. He is going to go down as one of the greatest character actors of all time and he is not getting appreciated enough for it. Total non sequitur. Would you rather watch or even be a top level method actor or top level character actor? Oh, character or method every day. I don't want to live my life like that. So you'd rather be John Goodman than like a Daniel Day-Lewis? In a heartbeat. <laughs> uh, I love it. John Goodman looks like he's having fun. Well, he probably is having fun. Yeah, Daniel Day-Lewis looks tortured. Do you, uh, do you want to take a guess at how many acting credits John Goodman has? Credits? Yeah. Oh, dude, 230. Uh, 165. Oh, really? I, I yeah. was way over. Yeah. I would have figured him for a lot more than that. Probably because uh, a lot of it was like TV shows where he was just in a billion episodes. Um, but it only counts as one. Fair enough. All right. Uh, so I guess let's get into the actual plot of this film. The movie itself jumps pretty much straight into it as, you know, the first five minutes, you're already in the plane getting ready to go up in the air uh, as Denzel plays an alcoholic and drug addict who is a uh, former Navy, uh, Navy pilot pilot. Jesus Christ. Um, the engine has a failure while they're driving he uh, driving while they're flying um denzel initially guides the plane aggressively and questionably out of some difficult um storm clouds and then they hit a nice patch of uh, clean airspace so they can fly smoothly that then follows with some mechanical issues that results in uh, engine failure and um well, the plane heading into a complete and total nosedive. Denzel then uses a difficult maneuver of rolling the plane 
um, upside down to help it coast so that they could glide into safety, eventually safely landing the plane, barring uh, two deaths, I believe. Six uh, deaths. Two uh, people who work for them and, and uh, four passengers. Okay, thank you. That's what it was. I, I knew I, I got focused on the two people who work for them. Uh, the rest of the film then follows, I don't want to say the court case because it's not exactly that, but the behind the scenes of what will be criminal proceedings against um, Denzel Washington's character for the failure of the plane is really it becomes a battle of insurance over whose fault this is. The <laughs> The airline, the pilot, or the uh, plane manufacturer. Which I loved because that's exactly how it almost always is. Makes total sense. Yeah. yeah. And the film is is really, it, it, I think it's so well done in that de- it is about Denzel's alcoholism, right? That's on its face. But so much so that the film structurally is set up in such a way that Denzel had it made. Now, I'm not even talking about the lying part at the end. That's obvious. Everything about this film was set up for his success. He he is a talented guy that had a lot of opportunities in the world. Uh, People respected him for his ability. He was able to do his job wild drunk and people let him let him get away with it because he was a fun guy who was good at his job every single thing every single thing broke his way when it came to the the court proceedings stuff and at the end of the day it was self-sabotage as is the way that he conducted himself uh, in treating his alcoholism self-sabotage he was responsible for all of his uh, mistakes and shortcomings for his inability to accept his own reality, which was being an alcoholic. Um, he is the, he himself is the only thing standing in his way in this film. Yes. And I would have thrown a fucking fit if it, this film ended with him getting away with it. If he didn't own up to it at the end, and it was just a case of, oh, the moral of the story is if you're charismatic, get lucky and take advantage of passing blame on under other people, uh, you can you can do anything. You can get away with anything. And I guess in a way he did have the opportunity to still do so, and it was his choice not to, regardless, it's still a film, so they're showing the moral be. Uh, I guess I don't know how to describe it, but at the very least, he doesn't get away with it, which is a kind of nice change of pace. I fully expected them to dive into that, but yes, yeah, it was uh, Denzel's humanity breaking through the drugs and the um, alcohol which uh, is a great entire last scene as Denzel desperately playing drunk, trying to hide it with uh, dude. The thing that fucking killed me that whole scene was Denzel's spot on Coke jaw. That shit killed me. <laughs> like it was pretty good. His jaw is going absolutely bananas. And it's like, oh, you know, this man came up in the 80s and has seen some shit. Um, Because this is accurate. Damn. Uh, Also, shout out to uh, Rodney Ruxin's wife, who's in this movie. And has a a delightful topless scene. I I did watch this with Quinn and it... um... It, it was definitely like a, a good five minutes of like, I swear this isn't just a porno. I promise. Also like, no, please, I promise I'm staring super hard because I know who this is and I can't think of who it is. Because <laughs> that was me. It was like, yes. no, no, no. I yeah. do know who this is. I promise. Yeah. Uh, um, I did find 
the woman the uh junkie woman character to be pointless unnecessary yeah no absolutely um there was no reason for a romantic subplot whatsoever and that's probably the big takeaway of not even takeaway just that's what's holding me back from this it's like this there's a lot of waste in this film there's a lot of oh this was done purely to to increase the amount of money that we can make by increasing our audience this didn't have to be that studio note the person studio note the person yeah that woman studio note the person yes yeah it's 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 tough because at the same time as you're watching this woman who oh my god she like just does it and it's not like she facilitates denzel's journey because at the end of the day his humanity is really born about because he's staring at a picture of the woman that he was partially responsible for killing Mm -hmm. you know and i say partially responsible because he is at the end of the day still only partially responsible but that part is still pretty significant um which is by the way one of the other things that the film does extremely well it puts you on denzel's side for the actions and it has everyone reminding you of that it has everyone right. saying, like, dude, you fucking suck. You are a piece of shit. You deserve to face consequences, but you did save almost everyone's life, and you were the yeah. only one who could do it. Which is like, yeah. Which gets me to the thing that, like, is a really not... Oh God, I keep... We're getting to the point in the night where words just stop coming for me. Um, if a plane had elevators that were stuck in a way that it very clearly seemed to be a forced pitch decline like it was shown if a plane is forced to dive in such a way that releasing hydraulics alleviates it and um, there's really nothing you can do to pull up it is almost certainly a uh, elevator issue um, which is the two horizontal flaps in the back tail flying upside down isn't isn't going to just level you off like it's not going to be fixed just because you're upside down and gliding the problem is still very much there and it, it being upside down doesn't fix it So like when they're turning upside, well, let me rephrase, turning upside down would keep you from pitching down into the earth, flipping back over and gliding at the end like they did. The glide does nothing like you're you're not going to be able to glide like that and land softly on the ground perfectly flat. You're just going to go back to diving. But that being said, I don't remember but my so, understanding from this from the moment was them going upside down after killing hydraulics pushed the elevator back into its position. But because everything was pretty much dead and they were already lost so much elevation, they couldn't go. They couldn't pull up. So all they could kind of do was glide well, and ride it out. And they lost an engine. If it was just gravity that put the elevator back in position. Turning back over, gravity would just pull it back down. Whatever. Not gravity. It's, the the force of the wind pushing it back into position. You know what I'm saying? Well, the the force of the wind from the dive would push it back into position. If it's it, oh, whatever. No, it's right. not. It it's such a little thing that's just like, again, this has to be this way for this film to work. This isn't the point. This isn't a true crime podcast into a film. This is the rest of the story. This is just the device. I'll survive. Um, apparently, apparently, this was based off of a true story. You have to look into it now. I'm I'm going to have to. Alaska two sixty one, in uh, January thirty, January thirty first two thousand. Ah, but this looks like they weren't able to. 
Yeah, I don't know. Uh, eighty-eight fatality. Yeah, the they all died. Yeah. Interesting. Anywho. Yeah, I I also found the family stuff a little bit underdone, and it's a shame. It, and it's tough because it's not that the film needed a bunch of scenes of the of Denzel's ex-wife being like, "Fuck you, you're the fucking worst." Because at a certain point, you would just go like, "Okay, I get it. He is bad and the worst." True. Um, maybe some more stuff with the son, a la Fences, another Denzel movie, <laughs> um, where he plays kind of a son of a bitch. Um. Just because the ending, I really didn't like the ending. Um, like like the final scene, the ending, I should say. Um, I like the way the film ended more generally, but I like, oh God, the last line and Denzel's shitty smirk, I thought was the cringiest shit on the planet. It, it was all cringy. <laughs> yeah, like what was, what was the last line? It was like, now that's a good question. It's like you... Who am I? At no That's point. A good question. At no point does he ever show humility for what he did. Like, yes, he owns up to it because he doesn't want to like tarnish the name of the chick he was banging. Which, okay, sure, like he had feelings, fine, but he never really like. Outside of taking the hit for her, his personality and his demeanor and like him and the stuff he's doing is never like ah, I'm an asshole I'm a bad guy it's like yeah I did that but like I'm still the good guy in the end well I don't I'm not sure I necessarily got that out of it well in the I, prison he's he's talking down upon himself but it's still the same cocky asshole as before I'm sitting here desperately trying to remember what on earth he said while he was in the prison. It's whatever. Yeah. Um, what I did like is though is that the film followed a nonlinear progression of his alcoholism because I think that also, you know, getting to be a slightly more accurate representation of how these things go. It's like it for a lot of people, it is this constant process of I'm gonna stop, I'm gonna quit, I'm gonna go cold turkey. Uh that didn't work. You know, or like I've been so good, I've been so good, and then you slip up once, and then you you know catastrophize, and like that, that you know you binge, right? Because the film goes through that process. Like you know, a- after Denzel comes home from the hospital, he throws out all the booze in the house, and there's a, there's a big long scene of him taking all the booze from all the places he keeps booze and pouring it all out, and you know then he gets all drunk again, and then he starts to hide it, and he seems to clean up a, a bit. But right before the um, deposition, and then he gets loaded in in his uh, hotel room right beforehand. And to have it be a nonlinear process like that, I think also does a good service to the film because it didn't it wasn't then all build up for the inevitable. He's going to get shit faced. It really was getting it, letting it be this up and down process took some pressure and expectation of what you were looking for out of that, you know, that climax uh, so that when he does ultimately get loaded, it's not unexpected, but there was some doubt as to what was going to be the climax. Was it going to be him, um, you know, getting drunk and, and ruining his own chances or him just, you know, caving under the pressures of having to, lie in his own actions and accept uh, and and uh, defer responsibilities for the death of uh, a woman that he cared about, which ultimately was one of the other instigating reasons for what he ended up doing. But if it was this big old tension ride and you've got all these scenes of Denzel shakily avoiding uh, a glass of whiskey, it also wouldn't have been as good of a movie because that's not necessarily an accurate representation of that struggle, you know? Mm-hmm. I agree. And then, I want to see flight two. I want to see him break out Con Air style and have to fly that plane. Flight flight two still still flying. Flight two elevator to hell. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh, outside of that, Don Cheadle's crazy young. It was fun to see. Um. 
yeah, I really don't have uh, Bruce Greenwood is bad in this. I don't like Bruce Greenwood as an actor, though. I think he's I think he's distracting. Bruce bad. Greenwood. Yeah, he you know who he is. Oh, yeah. I, I yeah, because he's Bruce there. Greenwood in everything. And in, and in this, he's Bruce Greenwood with slightly an accent, just enough that you know he's forcing it, but not so yeah. much because they told him on set sure. that day it wasn't very good, but he still had to try to have one. Uh, yeah, uh, I don't know. He's just Bruce Greenwood. Yeah. Uh, I don't really have a lot of other notes for this. Um, no, I don't really have much of anything. I feel like it was more of just like, a, hey, I, I'm in the mood to watch this movie. I, I want to watch it rather than like, oh, I think this would be a good discussion. I think it's a it's a very much so similar to like a Saving Private Ryan for me, which is like book ended by two really great what? scenes. And then the middle is kind of like, eh. I know we disagreed on that, but that's what my comparison is like. The, the first the op- opening 20 minutes of this movie. Fantastic. The ending 20 minutes of this movie, fantastic. Everything in between, eh. Like, look, I'm not going to disagree with the statement you just made. It's just like, yeah, no, like, flight is a lot like saving Private Ryan that I'll never be able to get out of my head. I know our opinion on saving Private Ryan is incredibly different, but yes. Uh, all right, then let's move on to final ratings and reviews. Corwin Hallows was your movie. You start um, because it was true to form on like the actual science and aviation behind it, I'll give it a half point boost to like a three and a half. But uh, that's all I got. Yeah, I think I'm right there with you on it. Three and a half. It, it's a really strong performance from Denzel, as fucking always. And the direction from Robert Zemeckis, especially at those early bits, is so damn good. Jeff, uh, or John Goodman, is fantastic in this. There's so much to enjoy about this film um, and all of its dark, brooding, um, addicted representation. But th- there are gaps here that I don't think the, the film fully overcomes. So yeah, I'm with you. Toy, All right. Toy, toy, toy. Then let's move on to next week's picks. Corwin Heller, what you got? Uh, you know, we just talked about it. I still haven't watched it. So I feel like this would be a good time to bring it up. Uh, let's watch the conversation. I was so hoping you would pick it. Oh, good. All right. I typed into Google the conservation. Um, yeah, that was uh, not helpful. Gotta say, the conservation will not bring you to the Gene Hackman film. Um, all right, cool. 1974. 1974's The Conversation. I am going to go with um, a German film. Because I'm out of ideas, but it's a Michael Haneke film who is wonderful, and I'm definitely saying his name wrong. I'm going to go with 2009's The White Ribbon. Okay. Foreign film, as usual, but it kept it this century, so that's good. It is black and white, though, so. <sighs> eat, eat, eat my balls. Uh, can, you, right. can you pick films that Quinn and I will be able to watch together so that uh, there's a chance that we we film these on time you could just force her to watch them with you no because that it makes my be, life a lot worse and it and could be a fun thing you guys do as a couple I, I i would find it fun i would but no introduce some culture into that woman's life i'm trying sure i'm trying uh, this is a uh, well actually I was gonna say this is a fun one I don't know I've never seen it so I hope it's a fun one I like Michael Haneke as a director though I've, I've got to learn how to pronounce his name um, alright anyway Haneke I don't Han- know I have Han- no idea Han- 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 uh, who fucking knows man um, 
Whatever. All right. Well, if you want to follow us on Twitter, you can do so at Juicy Pod. If you like to follow Corwin on Twitter, you can do so at uh, Corwin Heller. To follow myself on Twitter, you can do so at Joshua D. Tracy. If you like to send emails to the show, you can do so at juicingthebigscreen at gmail.com. And until next time, y'all have a good one. Bye. Thank you.